Soul Savings Podcast. I'm your host, Q Lynn Green. We got EB back. We got we like 16 episodes in. How you doing, EB? Uh, I'm great. It's always a pleasure to come and guest and um, talk music with this lovely group of people. So it feels really good to be a guest and come here and you know share a bit of knowledge, take in some knowledge. Yeah, we got so we got some. Immaculate guest on. We got uh start off. We're gonna I'm gonna start from where I can see on my screen. We got the the veteran journal music journalist. It just he's just like a, a human archive of just black excellent music historian information. I'm just such a fan of his. He's written, he's an author, he's written some amazing books. Y'all give it up right now for Mr. Craig Seymour. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thanks so much for having me, and thanks for that beautiful intro. I really appreciate it. No problem. Man, I want to interview y'all all individually because y'all all guested on uh, some episodes in my past uh, sh radio show, and I'm like, man, I was like, I was like, I just want to talk to all y'all individually, like, just hours at a time, but it's great to have you on, Craig, and then moving down where I can see, I'm just going in order where I can see another a veteran in the music industry game. She's she's had so many different titles. Uh, she also is a, a human archive of musical information, a Prince fan. That's why I also love having her on the show because she drops little Prince gems sometimes uh, throughout uh, certain episodes. But immaculate guest. I love having her on. Y'all give it up right now for Miss TLC. How you doing? Thank you so much for having me back. Every conversation we've had, I mean, there's been friendly debates, there's been laughs, there's been uh, a lot, as EB said, there's been moments of teaching and moments of learning. So I always appreciate these conversations. Love to be here with this esteemed panel. Thank you for having me. No problem. And last but not least, my our, our last guest, uh, fantastic music writer, He's wrote uh, a few pieces that I was just, I really enjoyed just the deep, his style of writing. I always love, always, I'll say his uh, Shaka Khan. So he did a, a, a album review of So Naughty uh, on the anniversary, I think the, the 40th anniversary of that album. And I was like, yo, I'm such a fan. Like, I wish I could write this good, but he, he's fantastic. A great writer. He's also a musical artist. Eddie dropped his song I, I queued it up the last time he was on the episode queue up queue up queue up queue up uh, one of mark mark's greatest songs but y'all give it up right now for mr mark chappelle how you doing hey. sir thank you for having me nope you 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 play mr humble now i thought she was gonna have a little uh uh, something creative to say you usually say something creative after that i feel like you, you're giving me <laughs> right no, so I don't know, <laughs> but thank y'all for coming on. Uh, I, I want to get down to it. We're gonna get right into the savvy topics, and I wanted to talk about 
because it was uh, mostly in the news and what I saw and people still talking about this album. It's not necessarily a review. It's just, I just want to talk about it. And it's a great segue to the actual topic I want to talk about. But Beyonce, uh, the superstar, you know, we put fantastic singer, you know, creative. Uh, she dropped the album this past summer called Renaissance. And yeah, I just want to get into it. I'm, I'm curious on y'all thoughts. I just wanted to really have a conversation because it's different uh, uh, articles and people have been writing about it and Twitter conversations, Instagram conversations. I would just wanted to get a collective together to talk about it. But whoever wants to go first, what was your initial thoughts of listening to the album when you were hearing it? Um, I could go first. I could just say, you know, in a nutshell, I try to be, uh, you know, the uh, kind of the the voice of balance when I first speak on an album. Um, but I will admit it was very hard to stay neutral with this project. I admitted from the first time I heard it that I was actually obsessed with it and I still am so I'm definitely one of those people on that side I'm so open to having conversations with people that aren't one million percent obsessed with it because I don't understand quite how I'm so deeply addicted to it I, I think it's just outstanding 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 like I expected to love it just based off of the credits, based off of the theme, based off the concepts, everything that I had known about it beforehand. I was like, oh, this is my style. I'm really going to enjoy this project. You know, I, I like the artistic references, but I didn't expect what I actually heard. And I've listened to it probably all the way through every day since it's been out, which is crazy for me. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I think that's what I love so much about it, is that it's a communal experience. I just love how, like just among you know r&b fans and among black people in general and like on black twitter and just everything like it's just sort of a collective celebration and a joyous experience for most people i mean obviously the people that don't like it or whatever but um i love that and i really feel like it was a gift to us at this this time when we really needed something that you know could provide a daily dose of joy i think that's why me and a lot of other people are listening to it like every day because um those messages are so relevant at a time when you know black folks women lgbt people everybody's being attacked from all sides and we get that news all the time you know sort of have something like break my soul and to you know be able to have that kind of heated energy you know it's just it's been it, it's it's you know it's kind of the thing that you couldn't have known that it was gonna come and that you needed it so much but like now it seems indispensable it seems almost like key to survival in a way um cultural survival in this era mm-hmm mark what you think of the album so I knew I had to write about it for Albumism. They you know, asked me maybe as soon as they knew that, they, that there was something coming. I'm like, oh, okay, great. That, that seems like a compliment. But upon listening to this, I'm like, okay, cool. It's just a Beyonce album. I got halfway through it. I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I was expecting what I was hearing. I was like, okay, surely there'll be a ballad somewhere, somewhere. And there was none. I, like, I got nervous right around the middle. I'm like, 
actually, I don't, I don't know if I like this. I don't, I don't know what's happening right here. So I was like confused and like the kid is panicking. Like, I don't know if the mom's coming back. Um, then I listened all the way through. I'm like, okay, okay. So that's what we're doing. I listened the second time. I'm like, oh, wait, wait, this is really dope. This is, this is really dope. Then I was like, okay, wait a minute. This is too big. Now it's going to take me a long time to write this and it needs to be done like ASAP. All right. So, uh, I'm just, I'm still kind of amazed that this, this far into the game, she can still do such a viable album. Cause I mean, a lot of artists lose their steam after like three good albums, if the third one's good, but I'm like, you've been doing this at this level for this long. Like, I don't know how you keep finding resources for it, but you know, brava, you know, she's at the age that like, you know, Tina Turner and them were when, when they first popped. So um, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to see what happens, whether there are videos or not. Um, it's just okay. Let, let's see this. I'm, I'm glad to be alive during this moment. Right. Million dollar yeah, question. I, um, Andy, did you listen to the album? Yeah, actually, um, I made him. <laughs> I, T and I went to uh, dinner a few weeks ago, and I listened to it, parts of it, and she was like, "No, you have to listen to it." And I made it a mission to find a night where I could specifically just listen to the album and take it in. And I think like Mark said at first listen, I was kind of like, wait, there are no no ballads. I think the song that stood out the most for me was Plastic Off the Sofa. And I was like, mm -hmm. okay. And once I looked at the credits and I saw who was involved, I was like, it makes sense. As a whole, I'm still just not a Beyonce fan. And I think mm -hmm. like that is troubling for a few reasons. For number one is, you like people will label you contrarian or being a hater whenever you just simply don't like something it doesn't touch me or move me and that's okay um i wish that there was a way to collectively you know take in the album without having to feel like an outsider if it's just not your it's just not my jam like you know it's not um it's not like I don't know, like Martha Wash or Lolita Holloway. Like, I'm not getting these strong, soulful vocals that I typically associate with um, house music or with club music. Like, I'm not getting any of that. And I think that's where my biggest disconnect comes in. Um, but, like, when T told me to go back and I heard Virgo's groove, then I was like, all right, we're doing something here. We're, we're, I, I see where we're going. I skipped it the first time, but I hear it. Hearing Church Girl, <laughs> I love Twinkie. I love Twinkie to death. And I love the song, even when it changes up, I love it. But I kind of wish we would have gotten more of that sample that she's singing over, like at the very beginning of the song. Like if it was something like that, I think it would have drew me all the way in. It just didn't draw me all the way in as much as it did everybody else. My thing yeah. too, I, I, I just think like as a whole, what I genuinely appreciate, I think what hit me so hard and was, you know, such a magnificent feat was just that in this day and age, now granted, all of us here are very deep music heads. So you could pull up references from whomever it is that you actually connect with and what really speaks to your soul. And, you know, from decades ago, and there's still artists that you love to this day that you feel like are really killing it. But it's honestly so rare to have someone who can cross over in the way that they're a huge mainstream pop artist, 
but yet they're giving you a conceptual piece that DJs are absolutely fine with pressing play and leaving on for an hour. And the way that it's sequenced and the way that it flows, I mean, for people to be throwing parties all over the world, like in clubs, everything's club renaissance, everyone's just wanting to hear an entire album collectively together is... I mean, mind-blowing. Like, in this day and age, because each one of us could name artists who we personally love, and we will listen to their whole catalog from front to back, and we have no problem with it. But you know that often when you try to transfer that joy to someone else, they don't quite get it in the same way. And a lot of times, you know, you want to shake them and be like, oh my God, why don't you think this is the greatest album ever? But this is an album where there are people from, you know, all different age groups, backgrounds, whatever, all over the world that want to sit there and listen to the entire thing from you know track one till it closes and then repeat it and leave it on like if you're in the middle of a workout you're in the middle of cleaning your apartment you're at the club you're like no just repeat it go back to i'm that girl i don't care like summer renaissance repeat back to i'm that girl you know and that alone is just still i don't get it like from july 29th to now I'm, i think about it all the time that i'm like this is just mind-blowing that someone was able to do this that is a mainstream pop artist at the end of the day because even though she has talent you know across the board in so many different sectors really you don't get that from someone who is appreciated in the way that she is usually people will discount once you cross over to that level everyone's like ah you're really not that good anymore those are just you know pop hits that are formulaic and it's like no i mean this is really a conceptual art piece that you can leave on for an hour that's just amazing yeah, and I like that it's so, it's universal, and it's like as crossover as crossover could be, but unlike crossover of the past, it's so rooted in Blackness, and so rooted in just Black culture in general, Black queer culture specifically, and that is just really so amazing to me to be able to use these influences and, you know, I mean, of course, she's like an ambassador so people are going to give a first listen to whatever she does and whatever she's influenced by but for her to make it so that all of these people wanted to be a part of that world that's just an amazing artistic feat to me um you know it's it's really i would have to say one of the you know, I mean, there's so many phenomenons that I've experienced through life, like Thriller, Purple Rain, you know, just things that that these moments that kind of transcend um, the culture become this thing. And Beyonce herself has been such a phenomenon, but like for an individual album, I think this is just doing something that the others um, haven't. And I mean, I loved all the other albums. I'm just talking about in the way that it. Um, so many people seem to connect to it. And that's, I know we were talking about this a little earlier, but I think that not having the visuals was an impor important part of that because mm -hmm. she really tapped into her, like, our TikTok culture and everybody wanting mm -hmm. to put their spin on things and everybody, um, mm -hmm. you know, making their own dances to it rather than copying her dances. And I think that also makes it much more personal because... There's so many, I like when I think of, let's say, Church Girl or something like that, I'm thinking about a TikTok that somebody made or something. I'm not thinking about the highly produced Beyonce video. So all of that makes it um, 
so of the time. And a lot of her fans get on Twitter and like, Beyonce is not even promoting this album. Well, why does she need to? Because everybody else is. Because every caption you read, every twi- tweet you read, yeah. every hashtag, every... And I feel guilty of that several times myself. You know, not guilty, but I, you know, we're promoting it. And that's what she wants. She wanted to make something that I think people could call their... People could really fully own in a way that they couldn't if she had put together the whole this is how you're supposed to hear it this is how you're supposed to see it this is how you're supposed to dance to it that really worked at that you know for the self-titled album but i think she realized that we're in a different sort of social time yeah we're, we're definitely in a different social time and i think it's important to point out that her being beyonce is a huge part of the reason that visuals aren't necessarily needed and that this album can be just as crossover as they come but still rooted in blackness in like that energy of the lgbt plus community i think her being beyonce allows her something that many people don't have like uh, craig you mentioned um thriller and uh purple rain like it gives you something that michael and prince had where you are the crossover. There's no cross, you know, you, like you don't make one crossover album. You are the crossover. You have that ability to bridge not only generations, but also, you know, those two sides of that coin. If it's, you know, the straight black audience or if it's a crossover audience. And it's like listening to it, you can hear the evolution of Beyonce. I think with each of her projects, I think they each are dope concepts on their own. But what's special about this album, listening to it, like you were saying, Craig, um, it's all up to your personal interpretation of, of, of the music. Like without those visuals, without the video to show you, oh, this is the dance that we're doing this to, without creating your, or using your TikTok account to make up something, you're leaving it to the interpretation of the fans and the people. And I think in the long run, that will create a deeper connection to the music for some people because it's not necessarily spoon-fed to you. It's not, you know, here, listen to this song and do this. Listen to this song this way. Make sure you pay special attention to the bridge here. No, it's, here's the music. I'm pouring my heart out here. I've, I've given you a solid project in, in my 40-plus-year-old life now as an artist that we saw from really a child. So it's like, I'm giving you what I got. Like Anita Baker said, I'm giving you the best that I got. <laughs> It's up to you at this point to interpret the music however you want to. And I think that's the beautiful thing about Beyonce, the beautiful thing about a Michael Jackson, about a Prince. Like, those artists have the ability to bring people into their world, and their world is whatever world they want it to be. You know, it's not, you don't think about Beyonce, and you don't um, put her into a box and say, oh, Beyonce is this. You never did that with Michael. You've never done that with Prince. There are a lot of artists that you just can't do that with. Beyonce is one of one in her generation, I think, that that's impossible to do because she is, every generation has a golden child. I think she's the golden child. I think she is the one who has the ability to speak to the Black struggle, to to, to bring up across the energy of the LGBT plus crowd in her music in a way that other artists of her caliber could not 
Yeah, and it's just really quickly to piggyback on that, you know, I also think it's sort of appropriate in the way that she uses so many Black queer influences on the album. Like, I would think to myself, like, how would the visuals be so that they wouldn't be exploitative or wouldn't be like this straight Black woman, you know, having, just being surrounded by a bunch of people voguing or something, ballroom culture, which we've seen over and over and over again. Like, how would that translate visually in a way that didn't feel exploitative so i think by also letting black gay creatives on social media sites kind of take the lead in the imagery that was the right thing to do i think you know i I really do and um i don't know that's hard to say but (laughs) no i i absolutely agree with what Craig and EB both just said, but I will add also just from the industry perspective, what is so fantastic here, I think, is that she reinvented something a second time. You know, when she had her surprise drop visual album, you know, there was a lot of naysayers, of course, that wanted to go against the grain and say, you know, this isn't the first surprise album drop and people have done this before. You know, as long as you have a loyal fan base, they're going to listen to it. You know, it's just about having the trust in your community and knowing that they're going to listen. And obviously someone of Beyonce's caliber, you knew that was going to break the Internet, be, you know, a huge deal at the time. Um But a lot of artists started to do the same thing. But you could see that there was, you know, a a tentative kind of feeling amongst most because you say, I don't know, like, do I really have that power to be able to drop something without dropping any singles, videos, without telling anybody anything about it? Um, But she was giving people at that time the full visual package along with it. And then she had done that, you know, as well with her albums that followed. But at that time, because people were always looking for a reason to discount her power, they would often, you know, connect her with just imagery because this generation is obviously just about the imagery and it's about aesthetics and it's Mm -hmm. about social media and that whole presence. So I think that she purposely said, okay, well, you think it's just about how I look and what I drop on Instagram and the videos. How about I give you a project and I don't give you that. And let's see if this is big as well. And obviously it has been a phenomenon. And I think that she really made a statement because yet again, now there'll be other artists scrambling to say, do I have that confidence and that power in my presence and in my fan base that I can just drop something and not give you visuals and not give you constant interviews and photo shoots? Because I'll be honest, the artists that, you know, you had mentioned obviously with Michael and Prince and having such juggernaut albums with Thriller and Purple Rain, you know, they also were very visual and in that time it was about you know even with Prince being you know mysterious and you know having very rare interviews where he would speak for himself I mean at the end of the day he still was very out there in the times in his career where he was doing really really well and when he pulled back and he wanted to show that he was capable of doing everything on his own you know we in his community will admit that a lot of his you know popularity did suffer and did wane because one once he had to kind of take on filming videos and doing that promotion, that distribution, he saw that, you know, you really do need that corporate 
you know, wheel behind you. And he definitely wasn't getting the same attention, even though, you know, many people will say, of course, his later work did deserve that attention. You know, myself included, I could break down things that people should have been listening to when they weren't, you know, because unfortunately, if you don't have that push, you usually are somewhat forgotten. So Beyonce was really making a statement here to say, I know what you've all been saying, because there's a lot of references in the lyrics and in the album that, you know, people joke about all the time, stuff that her and Jay both drop. And they're like, oh, they're clearly tapped into everything everybody's talking about on Twitter. A lot of trending mm -hmm. topics, a lot of, you know, a little lingo. But she's saying, okay, I know that a lot of you like to discount me and say that I'm really just famous because of my look and my image and, you know, clothing and certain trends that pop off from my videos. So what if I just don't give you that and I just give you the projects? Are you going to still talk about the project? Are you going to keep listening to that album? Because most albums, when they drop nowadays, the following week, nobody's talking about them. But everyone keeps making it such a joke in this meme culture that we live in that they cannot pull the IV out. Like Renaissance is just in their bloodstream. They have to listen to it constantly. And everyone jokes about it. Like, has anyone come up with a way to play one song and walk away? Because I don't know how. Because they all fit so seamlessly that I just got to go into the next song. I can't walk away from it. You know, and I think that's a huge statement to say, you know, maybe I just won't give it to you. I mean, it's interesting that she gave the little teaser but to say, like, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with this, with the tour, with the videos, with, you know, but I, I do commend her for that to say, all right, if you think that's just what I'm about, how about I just give you music and let's see what happens. Do y'all um, have to listen to lyrics whenever you listen to like a full album? Because this is I, I usually just listen to it to try to understand what the lyrics are. Uh, one song that I didn't completely understand and i got kind of mad and just kind of skipped it when I, I i listened to the whole thing but i wanted to skip it when i heard it was cuff it at first it was don't laugh okay but i thought she said when it got to the chorus i thought she said uh uh we gonna fuck up the night I, I thought she said i'm gonna pull a titty out fuck up the night that's what i thought she said and then i was like why she say that i'm like now like Where, the song, pull a titty out but no it was just it just kept i just kept hearing out now let me let me just say beforehand i was i wasn't sober because it was my when the album dropped i listened to it like two days after my birthday and i was still uh unsober uh when i listened to it so when i went back into it i looked at the lyrics and i was like oh thank god she didn't say that i was like i hope she didn't say that and it said unapologetic she said unapologetically so fast that's what i heard but you know what's interesting is that a lot of like understanding of like african-american vernacular english and stuff you can see pe a lot of people misread a lot of things from the album that i'm just noticing like like for the for, like on the first song it, the the sample is please MFs ain't stopping oh, yeah. me. It's not these MFs not saying, oh, yeah, yeah. please, <laughs> comma, yeah. these MFs. And people will he always write it as these. And it's like, yeah. no, there's a comma that, like, that's like, oh, please. And people don't hear that, but that, like, takes a certain, I think, ear for African American vernacular English to understand that that's what she's saying. Another example is, you know, might I suggest you don't F with my sis. Like, she's not talking about Salon. She's talking about sis in so yeah. many, it has so many um, right. different 
references there. And I think there's there's one more that people um oh this just that this this was um I just couldn't even believe this, but this was something a friend told me that when she says Uncle Johnny made my dress, that cheap spandex, you look a mess. They thought she was dissing Uncle Johnny for wearing cheap spandex. Like she's obviously saying Uncle Johnny made my dress and your cheap spandex look like she's but all of those but you know as obvious it seems to me like all of those come with your understanding level of black vernacular of black queer vernacular and everything like that so it's interesting to me how she didn't feel a need to break that down so people would definitely get it because there are definitely a lot of things that people are mishearing or misinterpreting based upon um because it's just like rhythmically that please mfs aren't stopping me scene is so much more dope to me than if she just was saying these mfs not stopping me. it's like please not stopping me please you know that's hot like to have that pause in there that's like almost uh like a beat but people aren't hearing that or some people aren't hearing it so so I was just talking about the uh the, the bitch please versus these last night and I think it's one of those easter eggs for people who actually research stuff cuz if I hadn't looked up the Princess Loco song I would have never found that and I've been like okay it's just it's just these ain't stopping me and then oh listen I I had the funnest time surprisingly going and listening to this album and not realize, realizing there was a clean version I'm like okay so how are you going to pull this off does anyone have any particular feelings about the fact that there's so much uh, uh, kid lyrics are not okay for kids on, on here? Like, I don't have a problem with it, but for people who feel like they have to be able to be, you know, sold in Target and then, like, I was like, I was lo- literally laughing with someone saying, there's not going to be a kids about version of this. And lo and behold, they made one. So, yeah, <laughs> I, so my nieces, um, they are, they range in age, my nieces and my nephew, they range from seven to 13. And, you know, since they've been literally infants, I've exposed them to everything, you know, pop culture wise. I really want to make sure that they know, you know, all of these legendary and iconic artists that came decades before they were born. And, and once, you know, they understand the threads between things, I know that I'm making them into little nerdy children that are going to, you know, bring up these references and samples to people in the schoolyard who are just like, I have no idea who you're talking about, but I don't care. I just want them to know where, you know, everything came from. And I do, you know, make sure that they're not listening to things that are super explicit but at the same time i had mentioned to them before this album dropped like okay this weekend we have a new beyonce album we're gonna have to listen to and you know we'll run through it and then when i listened to it i was like oh i actually can't play this for them but i know they're gonna ask me about it because i brought it up and then i saw of course they they immediately you know had released the clean version with it and i was like um i don't think it's gonna have the same you know je ne sais quoi lore to it but it it still works it still translates they're obsessed with it they listen to it all the time they've come up with their own choreography for so many of the songs you know and i'm like i like that that you can have both sides of it but then of course you know when i leave them then i listen to the regular version and i'm like yeah it definitely has more punch you know there's a reason why you know she says things the way that she says them but i i do appreciate that it does translate for kids like i i am an example of that like they were listening to it in the pool all summer you know making up their little dance routines and everything to the clean version so so i wonder if that has to do with her being a mom i'm sorry i I was just wondering if that has to do with beyonce being a mom and that like obviously 
she needs to be playing this stuff around her kids too and she probably you know i think maybe because i really wanted to listen to the clean version but sometimes it's hard on those streaming services to even find mm. the clean version yeah you just get right. tired and like please yeah but um because because somebody had said that the clean version was good and i did want to listen to it one day but i couldn't find it and then i was already five songs in yeah. but my point is that you know maybe she feels more of a sense of really making a full artistic vision on the clean version because ultimately she has what three kids that she needs to be playing her music around so yeah and i think part of it is also like the ages that her kids are right now it's like Mm -hmm. especially blue like you're entering almost teenage territory when you know your child is listening to everything on the radio you know Mm -hmm. that she's on tiktok and and they got the spotify playlist the apple music playlist the title playlist they have all of this and for you being beyonce and the music that you've made traditionally like when blue was a baby it was cool because you know blue wasn't going around singing your music now partition, right? At partition, right? You know, Blue wasn't Blue wasn't going around, you know, talking about drop a roll up the partition. If she had, you might have looked at her sideways. You might have threw an arm back. You know, you don't know. But now, being the age that she is, um, and I think you know, just as a mother, being more conscious about um, the media and what influence that it does have on your children, I, I love that she has a clean version of it, and I love that the clean version isn't just like every other clean version where they just either mute the word mm-hmm. or they put something there that makes zero sense right. and you can tell it's a bad edit but they typically do that with these clean versions i love the fact that she didn't do that because it does tell me like you said Craig, she's thinking more about her own children and what influences them and what they're singing around the house and what they're listening to and i'm sure she doesn't want um Blue, you know, or uh, Remy, I think is um, her other daughter's name. Rumi, uh, sorry, Rumi. Yeah, Rumi. Yeah, I'm sure she doesn't want them going around, um, you know, with singing these explicit lyrics because of the ages they are. You know, I think she was also just thinking ahead, just for the tour and award show mm. performances and things like that. Like, let me have these versions ready so that it's not just bleeped out on an award show. Like, I still want to give you the full feeling and the full. Yeah. Wait, is she going to show up to an award show and and perform? Because I, I mean, from some inside talk, I've heard of people already like rehearsing certain things with her, yes. but they yes. know themselves, even the, the musicians that I've spoken to about it, that it's who knows. Like, they've been on call to kind of run through potential live versions of things, but who knows? Ain't no way she's know? not going to perform she's not made she, album of the year again. You know, she would mm-hmm. definitely, I think, show up. Somebody was like, somebody had a, a grown person too, was like, oh, do you think Beyonce and Madonna are going to open up the MTV Awards with the Queen's <laughs> like, are you kidding me? That would be like them. <laughs> Have you watched the MTV Awards lately? Like, yeah. that, oh my God. I can, that was like a literal rumor. And I'm just like, y'all are some gullible. But you know what? what you go ahead and believe that. <laughs> what it's giving me is, I don't know, like, if y'all remember, like, the, well, of course, I know you all remember this, but like, Big used to make the best clean remixes of his songs like mm-hmm. i love the life after i have the life after death clean version mm-hmm. and i love that and like um the junior mafia get money the clean version mm-hmm. like i yeah. love the different things kim <laughs> says and even i'm thinking like oh, and, um no time kim's clean version and mm-hmm. even like totals no one else like i think there was this period yeah. in the 90s where 
they would rewrite the song and, and it would be mm-hmm. really really creative but mm-hmm. then sort of toward the end of the 90s and 2000s it just got to be that oh I, yeah and i think a lot of that has to do with you know it, specifically like the beginning of the 90s to be an artist you basically had to still be a touring artist no matter what genre you were no matter how big you were so you wanted a clean version that you could perform because that was your livelihood you had to tour the album you had to if your favorite um if you did a guest verse and the singer was on all that on nickelodeon you had to be able to go on nickelodeon yeah no joke sing the clean version of your song and not bleep every word out and not have like these parent unions up in arms so i think towards the end of the 90s early 2000s a lot of the artists who were like the hottest they moved away from that um touring life and they're constantly touring so you didn't necessarily have to have a great clean version you weren't going to perform it anywhere anyway like they could play it on the radio if they just mute the words you said that were wrong you know they could play it wherever but you didn't have to perform it live nickelodeon wasn't calling you disney channel damn sure wasn't calling you like you know you didn't have to have a clean version i mean let's just please like give a shout out to west side connection on nickelodeon because that clip yeah. always yeah. keeps going back around because them performing we'd be clubbing with like seven year old seven year old like white kids yeah like, yeah going oh my god that clip is Actually, I, I live for the clean version we'd be clubbing i cannot <laughs> lie um now oh. i know everybody here has probably listened to music that they weren't supposed to when they were kids and have like plenty of memories of stuff or just kind of like yeah i probably should have been playing erotic city but i was mm-hmm. um I'm really curious, not like, you know, of course, the, the kids In are going to love stuff that like, works up, up seriously. But I'm, I literally, I'm not understanding. I'm hearing so many white people who are like really into Renaissance. I'm like, this is a black ass album. How are you able to digest this without your stomach going bad? Like, they're seasoning everywhere. <laughs> I think, but I think this goes back to what I was saying earlier. It's because it's Beyonce and it takes an artist like that. No, that because Ford was Beyonce and they acted funny about Four and Lemonade was Beyonce. And clearly they wanted to you know, decide that, you know, Adele was taking it. Speaking of which, like, I'm still kind of amazed that. 30 showed up and I was just categorically underwhelmed by it. If it comes through and sweeps all the awards this year, I will have so many more questions for all the people I previously had questions for. But I'm like, yeah, it's not an Adele year. And and I'm I'm kind of wondering if this will be acknowledged as the major thing that it is, or if they're gonna ignore it like when BTS takes over streaming and then you know when it comes time for the award season, they're like, Yeah, not BTS this year. I'm like, this I mean Beyonce really killed it. Do you think she'll be acknowledged or if it's just like, you know, screw whatever the awards say. Like, I just made my album. I'm going to sell to my fans. You know, fuck this. I'm touring, basically. Well, that's why I'm interested to speak to people who aren't as enthralled with it as myself because I feel like it's a given. Like, as soon as, you know, I got into the second week or the third week of just listening to it on repeat, I'm like, okay, it's a given. This is the album of the year. This is the era to beat. Like, she, I mean, if you don't give it every accolade that exists, then you just look like a complete hater. It makes absolute no, you know, no sense if you didn't. But little by little, you know, people will pop up now that it's been, what, six, seven weeks or so with it out, that I've started to hear certain, you know, intelligent discourse about saying, well, it's not really, you know, my thing. I think she could have done more of this or that or whatever. And I'm like, now I'm starting to see that there is a chance 
as with anything, you know, you can never be surprised that it wouldn't win all the awards that I imagine it should win in my head. Um, but if it was something like you just said, where they just, again, throw everything at Adele, like, oh, well, an Adele album came out. Clearly, that's the best album of all time. And it's like, then you just know. I mean, it's it's just pointless at, at you know, this point to even care then going forward. I mean, I, I know a lot of people feel that way anyway. But you know that it, it's not about the work then at all. It's just that there are people that no matter what, when they get their ballots, they're like, oh, I just don't like Beyonce, like as a person. So I'm just not going to check up her name for anything. You know, but I, I personally do think that this should be the shift where they'd say, OK, we cannot deny it. You have to give her album of the year. But you just never know. And, no. I think, you know, I'm sorry, but just um kind of hopping off the EP's point, you know, it is that it's Beyonce, but it's also that it's dance music. And dance music has also is always a universal feel good. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The thing is normally black folks aren't able to get into it because a lot of what go becomes pop dance music is so right. that hyper pop stuff, um, you know, from the Lady Gaga era and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff that yeah we aren't connected so i mean i think there's there's something to be said for the fact that it's just an up-tempo dance album and at the end of the day moving your ass transcends language (laughs) transcends all of that kind of stuff you know and like lemonade was a really conceptual album like and it did i think it worked as both an album and with the visuals but it was like talking about like you know infidelity and all of these spiritual issues and at the same time like relating difficulties with black love with um this sort of the historical treatment of black people under white supremacy and stuff i mean that's a lot for a grammy person i guess you know from just your average grammy voter i mean i i suppose it's a lot easier to just what was that adele said the hello or whatever you know i suppose that that was the easier type of thing um so yeah i will be tight if this does not because this seems like such a it you know not in a pandering way but it definitely plays as a crowd pleaser you know what i mean yeah i don't no i was gonna say i don't think it's i i don't see it as pandering and i've heard that as well that um it's that she's pandering to a certain crowd with the music um but for a long time we were the faces of dance music. We were the faces of house music. And like you just said, Craig, like there was a point where something shifted and it shifted very quickly to all of a sudden people not even associating that type of music with black or brown people, um, which has always been a bit troubling for me. And I know my frame of reference is different. Like I was talking to a good friend of mine who happens to be a straight man. and we were discussing the album and I was saying that my frame of reference is different because as a gay black boy, like when I started going to the club, I was going to the gay clubs and the gay clubs always had a house side and they always had a hip hop side. Like you could always get the best of both worlds in those spaces. His experience was totally different. He's like, I, we weren't listening to, I was like, yeah, I know. I've been to straight clubs with y'all. I've been hanging out with y'all. Y'all didn't listen to any of that. Like you associated anything that was not hip-hop to be white or you know it's music of white people it's music for white people there was a point where the the music industry just made that shift i'm glad that she's bringing it back and i don't think she's not 
the first one and she's not the only one that's been doing house or club music i do want to make that clear there have been lots of people and not even over the past 30 years but you could say over the past 30 months who have been making constantly making and releasing good music um give it up for mary i think i think think mary deserves i I think this is a natural point to give mary a shout out yeah 2014 was like that was crazy um when the london sessions came out and just hearing First of all, I've never in my mind thought Mary J. Blige doing house music. Uh, almost like I've never thought Beyonce doing house music. But now that Beyonce has done it and I see the way that she centers the conversation, like she has this ability, no matter what she's singing about, she will make everybody in the world stop and talk about that one thing. And that's what's happening here. It's shining light on house music. It's shining light on the LGBT plus uh, community. It's shining light on the black community. It's shining light on women in her age range who have gone through these marriages or who are in these marriages. Like she has the ability to bring other people into her world without constantly pushing her world out on everybody. Like Beyonce's not an artist you see doing every interview or tweeting at 3 a.m., 4 a.m. She's not the artist that's going to be posting um, or the Shade Room or um, TMZ will have a clip of her saying something off the ball. She's not that artist. I think she's very calculated in that. And that's part of what I love about her is that she now controls her image, her branding, and the conversations that people have around her music, even when giving them um the freedom of like artistic interpolation she still controls the space in which those conversations are had i i think she would enjoy some because because when news uh media journalists like it was always like a 40 and up club like like she was young like 20 in her early 20s doing that and you're trying to explain your your frame of reference to somebody that's like 20 30 years older than you i think if she did like and not saying like breakfast club like but i mean it's like other younger black journalists i think that if she like interviewed with she would have fun with and that could relate to her i think she's always done interviews to where the she didn't necessarily like the people that was interviewing i could tell some of them that she, like piers morgan who, who the fuck wants to sit and talk to piers morgan for two hours i know i don't fuck him like i mean interviewing like, with people like like dickheads like that who wants to promote their album with that cat but that's the that's the key what you said it's there are young black journalists that I'm sure she could make a great connection with, who could write amazing articles, who could really um, shine light into her artistic process and to who she is as a human. The problem is those are not the people getting the opportunities. Those are not the people who are writing, who are actually, um, their stories are being picked up. You know, their pictures are being picked up. Those are not the people. So, you know, there's no one else for her to interview with, but the people who are constantly, you know, thrown in her face, who are not people, unfortunately, who can relate to her or her music 100% like a younger Black journalist could. I think there's just, in general, and I'm sure Craig can speak to this, there's just a shortage of Black journalists. That's just, especially short in the of the, Shortage of opportunities. Opportunities for, yes, no not shortage. a shortage of the journalists. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the major publications. Yes. The ma- Yeah, the in the major publication space, yeah. Yeah, And, you know, the, the, the yeah, interesting thing about that. that to bring it all together, though, is like 
critical discourse in journalism ultimately feeds into awards you know what i mean so it's like because she's not a part of that space largely um because she's not doing these interviews and she's not um getting sensitive coverage in these huge things i mean that informs that person when they sit down with their grammy ballot to go well, they might have just read some profile of Adele about how she did all this or whatever. You know what I mean? And that yeah. can play into they know all about the making of the album and they know all that kind of stuff. And they don't know that with Beyonce. And she deliberately doesn't mm-hmm. let them in on that. And I think that might work against her when it comes time for the awards. Right. You know, when because it's so mysterious, it's almost like it was created out of this mythical process. And I think fellow musicians that are in the industry like want to vote for something that took some kind of sacrifice or took some work which of course her work did but she's the never let them see you sweat in a lot of, in a lot of ways she has to be as a black woman who's so powerful in the business so it's just it's just one of those things that's set up against you know just another she profits a lot from who she is but there are other ways that she will probably always be underappreciated for who she is as a black woman as well and that too, I mean, that, you know, to just mention Prince for a second again, that was what he went through and he readily admitted. And these were conversations he had with Beyonce as well, that it was like, if you don't play the game, if you don't buy into the politics of this industry, you're not going to be appreciated in that same way. So you can't let that bother you. And, you know, he would say, of course, that he didn't care about you know, not being acknowledged in that way. Of course, there was a part of him that did. And we know that. I mean, that's just being a human being. You're amongst all of your peers who you do personally believe that you are, you know, more prolific than them and more talented than them. And it's like, why don't I have, you know, 15 album of the year trophies? Um, but he knew at the end of the day that it's, it's about that game and it's about that politics and exactly what Craig said. I mean, if you're not part of that scene and you're not speaking to you know the cream of the crop respected journalists and they're not you know kissing your ass then you know unfortunately you have an uphill battle in front of you and i think that it's also it's a shame because as craig also mentioned i mean there are so many young black journalists who are available and who are out there and they just don't get those opportunities and the people that do that then get to hold on to the name in that space is like you know with q mentioning like the breakfast club kind of thing and then it's like you don't want to go on something like that if you're a respected esteemed you know iconic artist who's been out for decades because you know that they're you know uh not going to understand how deep you want to get into certain intellectual conversations because it's more about the clickbait and it's more about getting you to say something ridiculous and having some cute little soundbite that's going to go viral and that's really not how this particular album should be addressed or you know any of like lemonade or you know how she really led to coming to the the decision of putting out you know the self-titled surprise album you know i care about recording process i care about the actual music um you know the way that this is sequenced so perfectly i am so curious to know the order in which this was recorded and when they came about deciding that it was going to be sequenced in this way and that it was all going to play like one track you know obviously you know prince had openly discussed with parade how he laid down the drum tracks for you know the the opening um 
the opening seg, basically the suite that goes through like, you know, the first five or six tracks and that type of thing blows people's minds and they respect you more for that. It's like, wait, so you already had this entire album and how all of those songs were going to play into each other in your head that you're able to lay down the drum tracks and then go back and start building on top of all of them. You know, something like that. I want to know. I want to know, you know, did they record everything separately? Are there another 12, 14, 16 songs? And then they picked these and then went back and, you know, threaded them together um you know because that's another question everybody wants to know what's act two you know if this is called act one is it another genre is it the videos is it the right. you know bonus tracks from this you know but i want to know that kind of stuff and unfortunately i just feel like she's always been more comfortable with taking herself out of that game like i don't want to play this game with y'all i know at this point you're just looking to tear me apart and find something that I slip up and say in an interview and just run with that. So I'd rather just sit back and just take myself out of it. But then that does put you at a disadvantage when it comes to award season, because people also look at you as a petulant brat and they're just like, oh, she thinks she's better than us. Oh, she doesn't want to, you know, sit down and talk to us. Well, then forget it. We're not going to vote for her for anything. You know, I would agree with the, the sequencing. I really want to know what went into this because if you bought the vinyl, um, it's amazing that uh, the way this track listing lines up, everything is kind of sequenced. So there is a natural pause right where the sides of each album would, uh, of each record would end. And typically, when you have like a continuous thing that was maybe made for a CD, they haven't thought about that. They're just kind of like, oh yeah, like you know one when vinyl wasn't a thing there there's no pause on velvet rope so if you're listening to something like like right in the middle of uh, you know empty you're going to hear a little bit of the static beforehand that just stops at the end of the record so it doesn't really consider that experience the fact that there are those natural pauses everywhere you know in in, in the album so it doesn't seem like um it was an afterthought it's like I had, I'm amazed at the research that went into this. Like, again, one of the things that was most amazing to me as far as the process of recording is all what went into the samples. I mean, when you're talking about conserving money, the last thing you want to do is be leaking it out to other people's publishing. But I think Beyonce is really aware that like when her light is on, it's going to like get to a whole bunch of other people. Um, putting a uh, focus on Twinkie Clark. You know, it's, it's not like the Clark sisters have not gotten their due, but people may not be aware that a lot of that money that, that Twinkie could have gotten was was lost to a bad publishing deal. And mm -hmm. suddenly, I think maybe since uh, they used Haya Eternal Life on the 444 album, she's actually been getting her own publishing. I don't know if someone helped her out of that deal. Um, you know, uh, you probably uh, know the names if you know like inner stuff but she no longer is in that where like she's lost half her publishing to the same guy that got george pu george clinton's publishing but you know being able to shine on like i've never heard of who was the dude that did the miss honey song uh um, Renee. Yeah. Uh, yeah okay again like all this is like who are these people i had to go start googling and go looking up like where, the, where are these lyrics where did this song come from? you know the, the, the lo-fi thing happening with uh uh Gosh, it wasn't like Princess Loco is the rapper, but I forgot who was actually doing the original song. It's just like amazing. Who put her onto this? Is this stuff that she listened to? Um, did, did someone else be like, okay, was it just tracks that she listened to? Like, okay, what is this? I like this. Or was she doing her own research? I mean, the, the whole thing is so rich and, and complex. It's just, did she come up with this herself or is she really great at pulling the resources of people who can put this together? Because it doesn't- it's all of the above, like, yeah. 
yeah. it, it doesn't feel contrived like okay i know this is going to get him it's just like okay i really like this let me put this in a place where it gets seen and other people start paying attention to you know tina marie the way they haven't in a while and i talked to someone else who was saying like they, they really took care of the process and, and you know reaching out to people saying hey you know we'd like to use this uh for this song i'm sure that they didn't get they didn't get the information that wasn't uh necessary to like the estates of people who were they who they were using but like if the act two is a documentary on how it's made then i'll be really really interested i was like i would be kind of underwhelmed with act two and act three is just more songs or or different genres and i've never really gone in on like people saying oh, okay act two is going to be the videos and act three is going to be the tour i'm like well there's been videos in the tour for every album that would be inherently underwhelming and i don't think that there'd be a reason to actually put act one on the record if it wasn't going to lead to something that was up elevating the entire set of three things and yet the great thing about it is she's establishing interest um I think she's been able to do this in a way we haven't seen since Michael Jackson. I don't know if people are actually doing this, but like the way we're revising Michael Jackson's legacy, there hasn't been anyone who's close to him since Beyonce. I don't know anyone else who's close to that. And, you know, and I think the key difference there is just having the difference between Michael becoming before the 90s, really, and like Beyonce coming as a product of the 90s, just the sort of a ability to just be unapologetically black and also the biggest pop star in the world. That's just, a di it's a generational thing. It's just something that happened with time, you know, and, um, and Janet certainly helped you know, with that transition, with, you know, the stuff that she was doing with Velvet Rope and all that kind of the Got Till It's Gone video and all of that kind of stuff. But the reason why it's so hard to compare what Beyonce is doing in terms of blackness and crossover with what those artists were doing is just that it's a completely different time. And hip hop and hip hop soul and all that kind of stuff just changed the entire conversation about what it meant to be crossover. So Beyonce can make these huge, you know, hella black statements on like the Coachella stage and all of that kind of stuff in ways that it just would not have been reasonable for like, it wouldn't have been workable for Janet or Prince or Michael to do back then it just would not have translated I mean at the Janet tour like every Janet tour I've been to it's been except the recent ones it was always really mixed if not sort of more on the white side you know so it's just it's just changed the landscape you know and so and it'd be really interesting to see who's the next black superstar artist and how they kind of build upon this i don't know i just think that she represents such a specific um era and she really learned from all those people in the past but she also learned from the mary j blodges and the seven i mean she was a student of all of that in order to come up with this uh, persona that's super black and super crossover i, I think Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh. I was just going to say, well, I think what's interesting, too, um, Evie had brought up the point before about, you know, growing up where there were these separations in the clubs that he would go to and that, you know, most of the straight men that he knew weren't really taking part in, you know, the dance rooms or the, they, they didn't have that in their type of clubs. But in New York, in like the 
you know, late nineties through the two thousands. And, you know, we've had this conversation, EB and I, that, you know, that whole world of everything from, you know, Palladium and Sound Factory and Twilo and all these places, they would have all those offerings and all those rooms. And at the time, like white straight men that I knew were very much so into that dance culture. And at the time, a lot of that wasn't visual. So they perhaps didn't know like all of these classic songs and everyone that was behind them and all the vocalists of course were all black so they didn't understand that they were really participating in this black culture and celebrating this black culture but they just loved the sounds of it and they were so much into it that i think also connecting to mark's point like how are there so many white people that are connecting to this very black album it is that dance piece of it that component of them having that throwback to like oh i love this, these driving beats i love this sounds like this is club music i want to dance to this because there was that era that it definitely dropped off and it kind of disappeared probably late 2000s on but then it did become something that you shoved to the side for the straight white men especially to say like oh i don't listen to like house music or dance music but at that point in time they did and so it harkens back to that that when they listen to this they're like oh this album you know this sound Sounds really good. I love this. And yes, they don't understand a lot of the references, but I think that an artist of Beyonce's caliber could be the person to kind of, you know, pull somebody up to say, maybe you should look a little deeper into it. Maybe you, you should look into it or maybe ask somebody around you, you know, because also Craig brought up the point before with the Uncle Johnny statement. You know, a lot of people I know were saying that they just assumed she meant like Johnny Versace because it was all referencing different brands at the time <laughs> and designers. And they were like, oh, it's like a reference to Versace and whatever. And then bringing up to people that it's like, no, this is kind of the entry point into this culture for her with her actual uncle who did actually make like her prom dress. And it's like bringing those pieces of information to people to say, you know, look deeper that there are people that grow up in this part of their household and this part of their culture and they want to celebrate that. And they know what, you know, uh, difficulties their family member had to face, you know, in a certain area of America at a certain, you know, decade that they're trying to kind of repair that in a sense and trying to bring that to the mainstream, knowing that she has that type of audience to say, you know, like, don't get it twisted. Like, this is really who I am at the end of the day. So if you want to come along and enjoy this music, that's great. But you should also be educated during it. Well, I want a oh. podcast of misinterpretations. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you yes. know, between the... the um, yeah, wow. But you that know, was, I was just going to say, yeah. just as a mini point, you know, we can never forget that the UK was the first community to embrace Chicago house music, even before yeah. New York fully embraced mm -hmm. Chicago house music, like in the early, you know, mid 80s. Yeah. Songs like, you know, um, house music anthem and 10 city songs were like top 10 in the UK, and they weren't even out here you know and right. it was slowly beginning to make a inroads within um new york and then it kind of all happened but um so all that to just piggybacking on your point that yeah there is a, something about the black dance music that just kind of carries over even some ways when this country can't accept it immediately you know there's always been a kind of international audience for it so um yeah I, um when talking about specifically about uh dance or house music i always say that 
gospel music is like the final frontier for white people like that's the final like that is the code <laughs> that they haven't they haven't cracked that yet and if you think about the origins of house music and how it's sort of born from the religious um yearning or being religious outcast um these black gay men these uh black trans women these black trans men when you think about that it kind of all ties together and you kind of understand why it's universal and why it has such a hold on people like they might not be able to fully tap into um the religious aspect or our spirituality but house music is the closest that we have to gospel and i know people don't think of house being close to gospel but it is in my opinion the closest <laughs> yeah. genre yeah it's the closest genre to gospel um and i think that is part of why it's so universal universally loved and you see people all races all ages you know no matter their background they they will love house music you know house music be playing and you know you you look and they're tapping their leg and then before you know it the neck is moving and they got the shoulders it's like you can't you can't sit still it's like in you it's something innate and it has to it has to come out and i think beyonce tapped into that i think anybody doing house music that i would assume is the goal is to make people feel it is to make people have a religious experience um right now what we're seeing are people have those experiences and people allowing themselves to be fully taken over it's comparable to like a holy ghost experience but they're allowing themselves to fully be immersed in the music in the beat in the lyrics even in the way that she strings together certain vocals or even you know like certain misinterpreted lyrics that they um well erroneously uh quote it's like that's that's them just being immersed in it and trying to understand more okay yeah, so absolutely a, oh go ahead mark <laughs> sorry in a post partition world I, I think i assumed the worst of, of this album and so i swore on virgo's groove i heard her saying slow-mo coming on my blouse when the lyric is actually coming out my blouse i'm like okay, okay. <laughs> That's the post partition. Yep. Mm-hmm. Y'all, you know, I promise you. Add all sorts of free dish to the album. <laughs> Listen, I like swear to God, Beyonce and her surfboard. Yeah. <laughs> and cuffing. I swear she said, I'm going to pull a titty up because she said it so fast. <laughs> now, now everybody expects, like, once she dropped those types of lyrics in Drunken Love and Partition and this and that, everybody was like, oh, clutching their pearls, shocked. Oh my goodness, look at Beyonce getting into it. Now they just expect that. They're like, oh, I thought she was talking about coming on my blouse and pulling cities yeah. out like now everybody and it wasn't more yeah. because she said it's, it's i want to sit on top of you that's where my mind goes when you say i want to sit on top of somebody i'm thinking that's because you're going buck wild and crazy you know you like i'm having fun I'm, i want to meet god i'm like oh you having a whole experience that's why i thought you said i'm gonna pull a titty out but that was so <laughs> important i mean i think that's self-titled i'm gonna partition you know and i think dream hampton wrote about that this but that was so important to kind of like break what I would call, and that's going to be very controversial, but like the Whitney Houston curse, you know, this kind of thing of where you could only be a black woman superstar if you played into a certain respectability politic. And Mm -hmm. she just, I guess, preyed on it, whatever, and just let loose and then has been bigger than ever. But like that has been the trap 
for so many people you know that's been the thing that's kind of like kept janet back in a lot of cases and Mm -hmm. because janet is at once you know she is that she is like this but she wants to talk about her sex life too and that just got really really messy in the 2000s you know that it just didn't work and so Beyonce coming out of that I think is such a like I imagine Whitney clapping from heaven you know just not to have to put up with um, all of that those sort of just rules about how you can present yourself and how you can talk about your sexuality but still be taken as a serious artist and still a model of the black community and everything like that and um that's why i just think that moment was just so important for her to just she just blew it all up and um was able to survive from it and thrive isn't there always that moment with a female artist where she gets to own her sexuality in some kind of way? Um, I, I think it's amazing, though, that culture just happens to have shifted in, in the right way to make it not so hard for women to be whole people who who like sex the way a man would. And it's not, you know, something where they're like, oh, like she's a slut. You know, I feel like someone else was talking about the trap that, that women have where like, you no, know, you have to be America's sweetheart and and yeah. so pure or whatever to be elevated as a teen. And then like, you, you know, you get to be an ultimate slut or whatever, or whatever the, the term is like as an adult, someone like, you know, what if you don't want to do that? You know, then there's almost like uh, like a, a a benchmark that you're missing as an artist and like i hope that beyonce isn't doing anything she doesn't want to do if she wants to be a freak be a whole freak you know if, if you don't want to take your clothes off or anything well don't you know you can you can be janet on the unbreakable album and, and like you know cover it all up like you got a muslim husband um but like feeling like you're entitled to any part of a woman's life her body her sexuality or whatnot like there's so much of the industry of music that is caught up in that where i'm just kind of like i love seeing beyonce do whatever the entire she wants to do and nobody can actually stop her because she's a commercial juggernaut i mean i think that word that's that formula had worked for white teen pop stars i'm not sure that that formula ever worked for black um stars i'm not sure you know sierra had her biggest success early on but the sexier she got her career started falling off you know ashanti was very kind of the girl next door. The minute she was, you know, talking about only you and all that kind of stuff, her career kind of fell off. You know, Janet was kind of like, they almost put a time limit on her. It's like, we'll give you Velvet Rope, we'll give you this. But then she had to come back with All For You, which was very, very accessible and very, Mm -hmm. even though some of the album cuts were kind of racy, you know? And so I think, Beyonce doing this is and you know and not to mention just the kind of um, career obstacles that people like Little Kim and Foxy Brown had back in the day that you know somebody like Nicki Minaj has been able to kind of transition past um, and doesn't get enough credit for being able to navigate that because that was a really that whole pop hip hop you know sexy accessible thing that was a minefield in the 90s and nikki's been able to you know do that so whatever you think of her i think she deserves um props for that so yeah i i think that's why beyonce is important no matter what you think of the music or anything like that because i do think that she really has opened up this groundwork for new possibilities for black women in music 
that really have never existed before in tr- that you can be your whole authentic self and not a- a- and be successful like you don't have to do the thing like Clive did with Whitney where you're pretending to be an entirely different person and we see how damaging that can be over time you know what I mean um I just love that Beyonce there are so few black artists that you can think of that have been in the career because I think she started what in like 97 officially with Destiny Child or like yeah, yeah so her first album was 97 98 yeah yeah so I can't do yeah. math but I know that's been a long time so it's like, you know, so for somebody to be yeah. in the business for that long and really only on an upward trajectory and to be financially secure in everything like that those we just don't have a lot of black stories like that sadly so I just really, really celebrate that because, you know, so many other people have just struggled with that or they've end up, you know, to so many challenges, you know, it, it can't even get into it. Yeah, I think that, uh, you that said transition. That, oh, no, I was just going to say that transition of going from um, a, a teenage pop star or a teenage star in general it's it's a tough one and she is the only example that i can think of who like made that transition almost seamlessly um brandy wasn't able to do it um he, I, I think of people like uh shanice and tracy spencer um mm. who were so young when they debuted and you know they had this image of being sweet but as soon as they started to mature and their lyrics got a little more sexually suggestive as soon as they have come into themselves a bit more they're no longer held you know on that pedestal we, we don't pay as much attention to them pop stations aren't willing to play them labels don't want that because after they branded you america's sweetheart or a princess it's hard to then become an adult without these awkward stages think about new edition like them becoming men and how wild that was just the image that we have of them in their in our heads you know from the candy girl and uh mr telephone man and now you know they, they're breaking off and doing solo projects they're they're maturing they have a whole song called boys the men they have a you know they're they're uh they're growing they're evolving and their music is doing the same but it's not always received in the same way for certain people certain there are certain people that are able to you know, make a transition. I honestly can't think of any other black woman who has been able to do that, not even Janet. And that's big because Janet is always like the prime example I can think of of this young woman, this teenager that we met as a teenager who fully came into herself, who owned her sexuality, who wasn't afraid of anything, who, you know, her image alone, like you think about Janet's walk, you think about like everything about her just oozes sexuality but then she also has this smile that lights up like the universe and it's so childlike it's hard for women to do that it's very hard for black women to do that i can't imagine you know being a woman and having to own my sexuality having to make music that i believe in that speaks to who i am but then nobody appreciating it because they want me to be a princess they want me to be in destiny child again singing about bugaboos like you know we, we passed that point now it's like tw- we're 25 years removed from that like i have to grow i have to evolve i have to come into myself 
you can listen or not and i think more often than not in the pop in the world of pop music if you're a black woman you're doing that they're not listening and you make a a great point you make a great point because uh that's why i love she had grace jones on the album because a lot of people think that kind of artistic expression started with Madonna and all that. I'm like, no, Grace Jones existed in this space as well because she was at the parties. She was in New York, Chicago at these underground spots to where all that, that culture and music was a part of the experience of dancing on the floor. And But yeah, go ahead, Miss TLC. I was just going to say, you know, point. I think that with the timing, it was a great point because I think that, you know, Brandy unfortunately ran into the same um, wall that you could take someone who was making completely opposite music, but at the same time with Christina Aguilera. And you saw that what happened with the both of them was they both at the time when they should have been growing and they were doing really well, they both had like a controversial kind of drop on their relationship situations. And people thought, oh, they were getting, you know, serious with somebody a little too young. Like people were shocked to know that, you know, Christina was getting married when she was. And, you know, she came out with her little dirty era. Um, But with Brandy, unfortunately, you know, she was uh, run, you know, across the coals because of what came out afterwards, that it was all, you know, orchestrated with her mom and everything, you know, and unfortunately that did damage a bit of her reputation with that. Um, but now why I say it's because of timing is that when Beyonce was out with Destiny's Child, like around that kind of same time, she was very low key with relationships and stuff. There's pe- there's people now that go back and they scrutinize every little thing. Oh, well, do you know this was the first guy she was really with and she was with this one and that one. And then Jay was trying to talk to her and this and that. And it's like, why are you going back and, and analyzing, you know, the relationships of this woman, you know, 25 years ago? But thankfully at that time and whether it was matthew or the label or whomever that was just being smart about it to say like zip it on all that we don't talk about relationships we're not putting private business out there because at that time in the late 90s going into the early 2000s people still were scrutinized for that and nowadays now she was able to kind of like loosen the reins not just because of where she is in her career but also the fact that people cannot keep up with you know putting someone down for this or that in their private lives anymore because everything is out there even though beyonce still has employed that same method of saying i'm keeping my private business private until of course everything you know blew up with the elevator and you know lemonade and 444 and the whole infidelity that's exactly up what until I was that about point to yeah but up until that point she I was, was still super private yeah and yeah. then by the time she said all right i'm gonna let you know a little something the world had shifted and they were more welcoming yeah. of that to say yeah you know what we we all have problems like that we've all been there like we're not gonna you know judge you for that but back then like the late 90s early 2000s they may have written them off if there was some whole big crazy public cheating scandal with you know jay-z yeah. and beyonce back then when they had first started dating like perhaps it would have done a number on her and her career but thankfully like she kind of navigated yeah. at the right time well wendy that. williams would talk about it every day wendy williams yeah. would talk yeah. about would claim that jay had a 
Because remember, Jay said he was about to have a son on that Emil oh, record. Yeah. Yeah. And she ran with that for years. Yeah. <laughs> he interviewing the one. So, so, you know, but that was a very content. But then again, Wendy, like, that was very contained. You'd had to know about either be in New York or know about. Well, so, Star and Buck uh, Wild, too, would always talk about it and yes, talk about yes, how Beyonce, like, true. wasn't allowed yeah. to speak to reporters because Matthew knew, like, she would blow the lid off of stuff and say something she wasn't supposed to. So, yeah. Yeah, when you said that, that's the first thing that came on. I was like, well, maybe her being honest in the records was because that tape leak, that elevator footage leaked. And I was like, well, maybe that's why she was like, fuck it. I'm just going to really self-title and be real. Maybe the facade of, oh, we're perfect and all, or not saying that she thinks they're perfect, but the perception of, of her and Jay-Z is that they they have the perfect marriage and all that stuff. And maybe she was just like, maybe I'm just going to tell the truth on my records. Because from, from, from that point, uh, self-titled didn't come out yet. And nobody yeah, knew. Was out before that. Yeah. But wait, wait, wait. Was out I thought it came out after. Well, there was no, the, the, the flawless the remix. remix came out yeah. afterwards. Is the special edition came? Self-titled. Yeah. The special edition came out afterwards. I could have sworn she it came out it like on after. the. Um, oh, no, the she, she addressed remix. it on the yeah flawless remix with Nikki. Sometimes yeah. it goes down when there's a billion dollars in the elevator. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. I think well, that's why it was unfortunate because just quickly, I'm sorry. She just came out like with this sexualized image trying to act like her and Jay had this, you know, amazing relationship and the limo and this, that, that, whatever. And then it came out like, oh, but he's actually stepping out, possibly, allegedly, whatever the story was like at that time. That's why there was like kind of that dissonance of like, wait a second, were you trying to push this super sexual image to try to get your husband like interested in you again because something was going on behind the scenes? Like then everybody started with the speculation, but thankfully the world was in a place where everybody talks about whatever nonsense and it just kind of goes in yeah. one ear and out the other. Can you look, if I can double back though um, to the Michael Jackson thing, part of why Michael was able to become as huge as he was is because there were limited venues for like hearing about yeah. news that was behind the scenes. Yeah. So people you know, describe him as magical or mystical. You're able Able to create that when people don't know about your business, which is why I love that Beyonce doesn't say these things about like what's going on behind the scenes, etc. Like with us finding out that you know uh, Will and Jada had the open marriage that was always rumored. I also don't care, you know. Like if these aren't holes that I'm invited into, it's not my business. So, <laughs> Did you say holes or holes? Uh, either way works. <laughs> <laughs> there goes the misinterpretation. There goes the misinterpretation, Craig. Well, he was already you know, talking about pulling stuff out. Double I mean, entendre. I just wanted to be clear, <laughs> you know. Just do they get to have a private life? Like, you know, just because they have, you know, made kids, do we need to know everything about those kids? Please let us not know something so we can enjoy your music. Right. Because we've also seen with all these outlets, they report everything and tweets and access. Um, if we know more about the people that we enjoy their art, we don't enjoy their art. So right, like, you right. know, part of why maybe I'm able to like love Renaissance so much is because we don't know what she had for dinner that more, you know, that, that previous night or whatever. Just like, yeah, please leave me out of that. Live your life. And then just entertain me. I'll pay you, and that can be our arrangement. <laughs> I think it works in her it. favor. Oh. I, I think it works in her favor that she has this air of mystery around her, because then, to the average Beyonce fan, there could be two fans. Person A, there's the version of Beyonce that Beyonce is to that person. 
person B, there is another version of Beyonce. That Beyonce is to that person because we don't know everything about her because we don't know her day in and day out. We don't know what's going on with her and the babies, with her and Jay, with her and her parents, really. Because we don't know that, it leaves it up to us as individuals to um, to uh, like shine this light on who we think Beyonce is as an artist. And I think that works in her favor to a certain extent right now because she can be like Shaka Khan, every woman, like she literally can be every woman, whatever version you want Beyonce to be in your head, because she's not out here doing an interview with TMZ every week, because she's not Instagramming her and her friends on, we don't even know who Beyonce's friends are, like for real, for real, because she's not taking pictures of them on vacation. It works in her favor for now. I think we'll reach the point where people want a little more. They want like a little bit more, like in in depth of who she is as an artist because i still don't know who beyonce is as an artist and i think that is where the disconnect is for me like i loved um self-titled um there was one before that that i really loved but i i do think every album that four. she's released four and four, four, yes. four subtitle every album she's released have been on par with her evolution as a woman as a wife as a mother that's why when we heard um self-titled after the or before yeah after the elevator incident went down and then we got the flawless remix addressing it if we had never seen that elevator footage i guarantee we never would have gotten a flawless remix with nikki at all that's fantastic yeah which was great i'm glad i'm I'm high-key glad it happened because that remix is amazing. It's one of my favorite songs. But I think people want to see a bit more of who Beyonce is. And they just haven't yet. Yeah, you you make a great point. You make a great point because that's where the disconnect is. Because I'm listening to the album. I'm like, personally, great, but also... My, my music journalist hat was like, okay, but okay, what about 20 years from now? Are we still gonna be like, like listen to a Gladys Knight record or a Luther Vandross record, a Michael Jackson record? Like those records, their their classic albums stand the test of time. Like Gladys is 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 known for Claudine. Like that's what I go to. That's what I think of when I, when I hear Gladys. What's Beyonce's go-to album to where it centered not just her superstardom, but her who she is i think she has it in her i just think she has that i hope she gets out of this uh this this party girl fate i i I mean maybe i should hold my thoughts because when i hear act two and act three maybe she might open up something that make me connect with connect with her music musically but i didn't really connect to it because again the lyric lyrics it was just like outside of a party atmosphere it can you really sit with this and really be like or maybe i'm just thinking too much into it hey, I don't you know, know what about this church though? girl i think you can i mean i think that church girl is i know people that cry when they listen to that for the first time just because yeah. of feeling so of the way the church treats women right and wants women to be and like her just saying drop it and you can still love the lord and stuff like that right that set some people free i even posted yeah. somebody wrote a great essay about it that i posted yesterday so i mean i think that there's a lot i think lyrically there's a lot there actually that Virgo's group too yeah, yeah. And that maybe yeah, like yeah. a lot a lot of times people you know it's, a lot of times it's hard for people to do both like a lot of times it's easier for people to listen to the lyrics on like a ballad or something like that and it's and they don't listen to the lyrics on uh, um 
house song because a lot of house music has really deep like lyrical yeah talking about social politics and stuff like that but people don't even hear it because of the beat so you know i think sometimes it has to do with like genre expectations too and you made my point right there because that's because i love how house music and that's why i was like when when she started to get into these genres which segues perfectly to the topic i want to talk about disco and house music but they had deep lyrics like when i hear sylvester he he had some great all those records those up tempos they had great messaging in them even when the house with uh crystal water she had deep messaging in her music you know with with the uh, up tempos but but go ahead with your point look if i can uh interject this a, a surprising thing that I noticed about this record was uh, talking to a friend that didn't like the album. Um, I was like, okay, so what's happening? What's not connecting here? Like, are you not like vibing with the lyrics, with the beats, with the music? He's like, well, you know, usually I like, you know, Beyonce projects. Um, it was maybe a couple of weeks before like something changed for him, like where like his emotions like, like shift. He's like, oh, I didn't really notice that I was really, really depressed and I couldn't access the music. In that mm-hmm. sense, like house music can very much, I mean, actually any music can be a bellwether to let you know like what's happening emotionally because like as much as I got into this, I was feeling happy. It's summertime, things are good, you know, you just got paid. But then like something happened, like, you know, you lose a family member or a friend or something, like, you know, you're in a different mood. I'm like, I don't want to hear I'm that girl. I don't want to hear anything between that and summer renaissance. It's just like, yeah, like that part of me that turns off because it's so centered on having a good time and like letting go of every, you know, every care or whatever. And then like, you know, when something shifts, suddenly I'm like, okay, I can listen to this again okay i must be happy because you know I, I can get into renaissance it's amazing though like i wonder if anyone else has picked up on that like the emotional interaction you have with certain kinds of music specifically house music yeah that's me with this album i that's why because i was in a depressive mood like a week after that and i didn't want to hear it anymore so i'm like i'm not in a fun mood so i don't want to hear this see i don't hear the album as fun so that's weird like i don't really yeah. experience and also in the same way I have a weird experience of like, I mean, I think self-titled has a lot of dark stuff on it. Like the beginning mm-hmm. of self-titled, like yeah. the nine to five to stay alive and haunted and all this kind of stuff. And people yeah. make it like it's a kind of pop. But I mean, I think yeah. that shows a journey from darkness to yeah. light at the end when she has the child and she has blue, but it starts in a really dark place. So when people yeah. go, oh, well, she's just letting us in on problems that she was having personally or with her marriage with Lemonade, I'm like, no, have you listened to the first couple of songs? <laughs> and so from, by the same token, I mean, I feel like um, Renaissance is like a pump myself up album. Like it's not a yeah. happy album for me. It's not a dance album. It's like, I have to wake up in the morning. I have to do something. I need to say, please, MFs ain't gonna stop me today. Like that's it. That's not happy for me. That's like, you know, revving me up to meet the world and to meet the challenges that I face as a black man, as a black gay man, as whatever, whatever. And so, yeah, I, I just feel it. I, I just feel it differently. I don't. I don't. I feel it's like a. You'd break my soul is the only song where I feel is really kind of like, and even that's not carefree. That has a great message of you know, like um, Evie was saying, like that's that's a civil rights message. That's you know, ain't gonna let nobody turn me around, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But everything else to me has a real edge about like, or like when Trace Jones comes on there, like so I don't know. I don't see it as a 
party record in terms of party is released i see it as like almost like a a um like an empowering record like a pump you up record like the way i would listen to like hip-hop before i'd go into a job interview or something you know what i mean yeah okay, well, so well that's what i Oh, go ahead, Mark. Sorry. Go ahead, Mark. Since you're talking about Break My Soul, like after I listened to the whole album, I realized why they chose Break My Soul as a single. Most viable. Mm-hmm. But if mm-hmm. yeah. Break My Soul wasn't the first single, what do you think could have been a, a great first single for this project absent that song? Um, cozy. Word? Yeah. I think Cozy, Cuff It, and Alien Superstar. Yeah, Alien Superstar. That, that could be a second single. That's why I hear that more of I'm amazed Beyonce has said a long time ago that she doesn't care about radio. So, I mean, I don't, oh, I think yeah. that if Break My Soul hadn't been on it, she just would. I mean, remember, there were no singles off of really off of self titled and mm-hmm. Lemonade oh, yeah, right. except after the fact. So, I don't yeah. really, I think I she's know. transcended singles. And I think Break My Soul just happened to sound like a single. <laughs> That's why she put it out. Right. But I mean, she's kind of built her last. She's kind of built her whole brand on I don't need a single. I don't. I already have these right. number ones. I don't care, and I'm not going to do what you need to do in order to kiss up to the white programmers at top forty, or you know the kind of older black programmers at R&B. Like mm-hmm. I just don't care, you know. So mm-hmm. maybe Act Two and Act Three, she's going to give us. Some, I know. I seen somebody on Twitter. They have like an unofficial list of track songs. I don't, I don't know if it's verified yet. That's why I didn't want to talk about it. But I saw the twelve. It seems like it's legit. You know the FBI, uh, Beyonce Hive investigators. They be having the, <laughs> the scoop or whatever. So they just released the, the twelve tracks. I think a day before yesterday. Them titles look like, a little sus to me. I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I yeah. Thought it would be I maybe like Henny yeah. Water or something. I was like. I've you know, been that. hearing rumors about an act two like that coming out at some time, and it still hasn't happened. It's like every other prophecy. Like we, we'll know when we know. <laughs> well, I'll be honest. When they leaked the track listing for this, I thought that was fake. I didn't think these song titles were really going right. to be what it was. Right. I feel like a lot didn't. of them. <laughs> right. But I feel I'll... like a lot of them sounded differently than what the title would probably portray. And but America has the problem is the biggest scam ever. Right, right, right. And <laughs> How dare you name Beyonce, a and it'll be what it is. <laughs> right. To the Beyonce fans, I don't want them to interpret what I'm saying. Like I don't. I love the album. I'm just saying from a, just a critical standpoint. Like, okay, can I listen to this outside of not? And I didn't want to use the word happy, Craig. It was just the word that came up. It maybe like you said the way you described it. I would describe it that way in terms of like pumping you up type of music because i because i would get ready for gigs i'm like i'm turning on coffee because i feel like you know fucking something up you know mm-hmm. i was like just put me in a good space but i just want to say so we could get to disco talk about house music beyonce this helped and tricked me into buying uh, a ticket to her show whenever she did i'm sure she's gonna wait till after all the act hopefully she'll wait till all the acts are released but she didn't trick me I've never had an inkling to go to a Beyonce show. Like I loved her previous albums, but I've never like, ah, eh, not for me. Beyonce show. I soon as soon as it drops, I need all the Beyonce stands to tell me the preparations to buy the Beyonce ticket. Cause I, I'm going to Chicago because I want to experience it there. I, I need to the whoever's in your house. 
Right. I'll <laughs> keep a credit card free. Get you get you one of oh, yeah. a brand new credit card and just keep that in I'm buying. I have to hear this for, album um, live. This album is Oh, and I feel I, the I same way. I said, "Oh, I need I gotta to hear it live." Store. But that's yeah. what I'm interested too cuz we were talking before about the clean version. You know, my nieces, they were like on board with it as well. Like, "We need to come. Could we come with you when you go to see this?" But in my head, I was like, "Well, I don't know what she's really going to do to really pay homage to this album and to the sounds and to the culture. So I'm like, I don't know if kids could go to this show, but we'll see. I'm like, I'll obviously go to multiple dates. So maybe I'll go and then see if I could bring you to another one. But but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely all in with going to this tour if and when something is announced. Yeah, it's so yeah. weird as an adult to know, like, I don't think the formation, I've seen all the tours since the Ms. I didn't see Mrs. Carter, but I've seen everything since then. And I don't think they were racy. And I saw kids there, but it's so hard once you reach the mm-hmm. adult age. Yeah. Like, just, but the minute you have a kid with you, you're like, <gasps> right, you know, right. <laughs> yeah, there's no plenty protection. of things that I'm like, oh, I don't think that's that bad. But then when you actually are standing next to like an right. eight year old and seeing their interpretation, it's like, I don't know. I don't know if you should be seeing this. But that's why I said, oh, I'll probably go to one of the day. Check it out and let you know. <laughs> I Man. mean, did you cover the eyes whenever Jenna was doing a lap dance at her tours? Right. Yeah. I didn't like, have any kids. Yeah, and I ain't had no kids, don't. so I was a grown person. So I, you know. right. <clears throat> but yeah, that's uh, racy. That, that's a racy concert right there. I but it got racy. Show. Like it start. If, if you go back to the Janet show, that for the Janet album when she first did that, it was very tame. She was just. You know, mm-hmm. rubbing. By the time you get to like, you know, the office and all that kind of stuff, the oh, band is you, strapped right. down. Yeah, and all that kind of oh, stuff. Yeah. It, it, but that's what it was. It was like Janet had just like the sensuality, and then Velvet Rope started getting a little more explicit. And then all for you, she was like just putting them out there. Yeah, and I had been to all that, so it was interesting. But one last thing I will say though with Beyonce and going back to like the artistry and you know where the real. Uh, impetus for the inspiration for this project came you know it does make me miss the moments that used to be available with like a vh1 storytellers or an unplugged or something like that because i would be so interesting not interested not even just with renaissance but just beyonce in general with all these albums that we've been talking about with four and self-titled and lemonated you know if there was ever that moment where she opened that door and let people really hear like these stripped down acoustic versions where she is telling you you know the evolution and the process into what happened because when eb mentioned before you know obviously we wouldn't have gotten the flawless remix had the elevator footage not leaked through tmz but we wouldn't have gotten lemonade you know we wouldn't have gotten 444 like that entire evolution as an artist really came from her saying oops now you know there's some trouble in you know quote unquote paradise so i guess let me lean into that and explore myself because of course there's you know people I want to believe that all of that was contrived and no one 100% knows, but I don't think so. I think that there really was that kind of introspective journey Mm -hmm. that her and Jay had to go through. You know, they both admitted, you know, therapeutically, it was like apart and together. There was a lot that they needed to learn about themselves and their past and, you know, their own burdens and baggage. And I think that that came through in the music, which was a beautiful thing. So in order to really explore things further than that, because I feel like everyone kind of knows enough about that story. So a song from that like just talk through it to people to learn you know 
what you really meant by all of these songs of the last, you know, five to seven years of your career. I, I would love if there was an opportunity for her to do something. Whether you need to be comforted, soothed, or relaxed, soul savviness got you the ultimate getaway. You are listening to the Sounds of Soul Savviness podcast, where we are sure to put your mind, body, and soul at ease. 